Hello, I'm Kimberly Dondo, Digital Content Manager, and welcome to In Conversation With, the podcast series that delves into the world of financial services and brings you face-to-face with some of the most notable figures in the industry. Listen as we discuss topics that are currently facing the industry and hear from visionary CEOs to disruptive innovators as we bring you a diverse array of voices and perspectives. We'll explore the challenges they faced, the lessons they've learned, and the insights they have to share about the ever-evolving landscape of financial services. Hi, I'm Lois Vallely, Chief Reporter for Money Marketing, and today I am joined by Sarah Lyons from Parmenian and Hayley Rabetz from the Verve Foundation, although I would, I'm tempted to call you Hayley Rabbits, Hayley. I'm sorry, I'm sure everyone does that, but just because, you know, lions and rabbits might be quite fun. <laughs> I'm absolutely fine with that. They're cute, <laughs> um, But th- yeah, thank you so, so much to you both for joining me. Um, perhaps we could just start... Um, by you introducing yourselves to our listeners, telling us a bit about yourselves and the story of how you got to where you are today. As I introduced you first, Sarah, let's go with you first. Okay, well, I won't go into too much detail because I'm sure not many people are interested in me talking for a long time about it. But um, I'm Chief Marketing Officer at Parmenian. Um, I've been with the business just over five years. And essentially what I do is um, work with my colleagues to design the products and services and then communicate them to the market. Um, so so that's my job. I run a small team here and Pomeni is a relatively small um, business with just over 200 people all based in all based in Bristol. Um, I've been in financial services since pretty much since I graduated in 1995. Um, and like many um, started as a financial adv- advisor and I'm tempted to do a few sort of air quotes here because back in the 1990s being a financial advisor for a bank assurance business wasn't really about financial advice as we know it today it was much more about sales um, and I did that for a number of years and then thought do you know what I um the sales environment didn't really suit me as a person, and um, I wanted to get in a position where I designed the products and services that advisors at that point were selling or advising on um, instead of um, being on the receiving end of them. So I took that customer facing experience and brought it into a marketing job um, I stuck it out for a few years um, in terms of the um, sales or advising role with the bank assurer and then moved into my first marketing job with clerical medical um, and haven't really looked back um, a few companies and positions later and here I am. Perfect thank you very much um, and Hayley. Yes so um, I head up the Verve Foundation uh, which is the uh, not-for-profit arm of the Verve Group. Um, I also didn't intend to come into finance at all um, so I took a receptionist role at a financial advice firm uh, back in 2007. Um, There's always been a joke 
with people that I know that I caused the market crash by joining financial <laughs> services in 2007, but I promise it was not me. Um, and I just worked my way up in different roles within financial advice firms, um, never really fancied advising because I saw it as really salesy and it didn't fit me and my personality. Um, so I've probably done most roles, just not advice. Um, and then I landed up at Verve a couple of years ago. Um, I was ambassador for education alongside my day job at Verve. And at the beginning of the year, Kathy, our CEO, said, would you like to head up the Verve Foundation on a full-time basis? And I think I screamed and did a little happy dance and here we are. <laughs> Brilliant. Thank you very much. Um, so, Sarah, I was just had a question for you first. Obviously, the consumer duty came into force at the end of July. Very exciting day. Um, what <laughs> impact would you say it's had on the industry and also the end client so far? It's very early to say. What are we, six weeks in, I suppose, since the 31st of July? So, So I think it's probably a little bit early, but I guess what I really hope um, is that it drives a step change. There's been lots and lots of commentary about um, it being like TCF, it's nothing new, et cetera, et cetera. And, and I'm not sure that's the right lens to look at it, really. I think there is definitely opportunity to deliver better services for our customers. And I'd summarise it as the industry and I probably don't include advisors in this, but the industry at large needs to shift from a position of being inside out and delivering products and services to their customers to being outside in and really being driven by what customers need um, and de developing products and services that meet those needs better. Um, I think at a macro level, if you look at the trust index, I think FSCS published some stuff last year and um, financial services sits comfortably between utility companies and communication providers. And um, I don't know how you two feel when you have to phone your gas supplier or your broadband supplier. And as someone <laughs> that moved house very recently, I kind of get it, right? Your, your heart literally sinks mm -hmm. and you have to take a deep breath before phoning them. And you do that because you know it's going to take ages to get through and you know it's going to be really, really hard to get hold of anybody that can actually help with your query. And it takes energy and it takes time. And for financial services to be in between those two industries on a personal level, it's embarrassing, right? Now, now I know. There's loads of good people trying to do good things in the sector. And um, and I know that Parmenian is probably better than most in terms of that service delivery. Um, and we're acting to improve things all the time. But if people do go looping right back to where I started, where if everybody thinks this isn't about me, it's about everybody else, it's no different to TCF, no change here, we're not going to drive that change. Yeah. Everybody can do something better for their customers, including Parmenian. And um, I, well, so I hope it drives that step change, whether it will yeah. or not. We'll see. We will see. I used to write about utility companies on a, at a previous job. So I know all about 
fertility company service. Lucky, lucky you. <laughs> it was a fun job. Um, it actually was in many ways, but yes, definitely didn't get the best, didn't have the best reputation in those companies. Um, <laughs> and, and I don't want financial services to have that reputation, you know? No, definitely not. Um, I was speaking to someone the other day who was saying that they feel that if if the FCA had implemented RDR and MIFID to and all those bits of regulation better, it wouldn't have needed to do consumer duty. I don't know if you have any thoughts on that that you would like to voice on our public podcast. <laughs> um, what do I think about that? I think it's easy to have 2020 vision with hindsight. Um, I'm sure there could have been things done better with MIFID 2 and RDR, but actually MIFID 2, in my view, introduced quite a lot of complexity into the customer experience in terms of the communications that we need to send out and deliver. And it's gone now, but 10% loss reporting, etc. Um, and really, in my mind, those are odds with consumer duty. I think there is... Um, sometimes unintended consequences to regulation and I think customer engagement in pages and pages and pages of disclosure and documents that we're asked to send um, are sometimes at, at odds with each other with each other because they're too technical um, mm. and it's not what customers really care about what customers care about is the outcome they're getting yeah definitely. and that's where advisors can help really so I'm not sure on that statement if I'm honest no, that's fine. Neither am I. Um, I <laughs> was doing so I um, people have mixed feelings about this, but I consolidated my pension into pension B ages ago. And so I had four fairly small pension pots. And so obviously had to interact. Well, I mean, pension B interacted with the providers on my behalf because they were saying, you know, Lois wants to transfer her pension pod into pension B. So, and then from three of the providers, I won't name them because I mean I haven't gone to them for right or reply. But for three of the providers, um, in fact, I think I have named them in an article. But anyway, three of the providers just um, just sent me like a form that I just had to sign, you know, digitally, and then I just sent it back by email. It took probably maximum a week, and they just transferred my pension pod. The other one, it took literally about six months. And I kept every time I called them, it's like you said, Sarah, I, my heart sank because I had to call them and I knew it would take like an hour at least. Yeah. Um, and my their response was, well, we have to send you all this paper and get you to send a wet signature back because that's what the FCA says. And I'm like, well, that can't be true because the other three providers which are doing the same thing haven't had to do that. So, mm -hmm. yeah, just... It was terrible. I won't name them because it was a long time ago now. But. but but hiding behind process and hiding behind regulation is part of our collective problem in mm. my mind. Yeah, definitely. It's really easy to just say, oh, it's all the FCA's fault, isn't it? Because yeah. advisors and providers don't then have to go, OK, what are we doing? What yeah. can we do to make this better for the customers? Because mm -hmm. eventually, although there's a lot more to consumer duty, it all boils down to doing the right thing. And that yes. should be at the heart of every business regardless. So to just respond by going, oh, well, it's the FCA's fault. Oh, well, it's regulation. I think it's just a bit of a cop out, to be honest. Yeah, definitely. Well, I mean, as soon as they found out who I wrote for, they transferred my money straight away. <laughs> I bet but, they um, did. 
Okay. I'll get you to fix. Yeah, I'll get you to fix. I did used to do it with the energy companies at my old at my old job. Just be like, do you know who I write for? And then they'd just do the thing that I wanted. Anyway, journalist power. Probably shouldn't even say that. Um, so obviously, a lot of the focus of the consumer duty is on um, the importance of value, not just price. Um, and also getting sort of tangible results. What do you think is the impact of poor or good service propositions? Um, and how can we measure this? And how can we improve this? Three pronged question there for you, Sarah. So um, some people listening may have heard me say this before. So I'm sorry if I sound a bit like a broken record, but um, service is a massive unseen cost in our sector um, and it's a real false economy and if you're not careful you're gonna to have to stop me talking in a minute Lois because this is my soapbox topic and um, I don't I think I'll just let you go and I may just start ranting but I'll try not to um, so I think you can draw a direct line between the service that's provided and the advice gap frankly um, I think there's about 12 to 14 million adults in the advice gap in the UK. And that's caused by a number of reasons. But two of the main reasons is that advice is massively underserved. We haven't got enough advisors for the market that needs them. And actually it's seen as a little bit expensive, frankly, let's, let's be honest about that. And then if you wind that back to the impact of service um, and the time that advisors will spend on the phone to providers, just waiting for them to pick up the phone, chasing, fixing errors, trying to just get basic information. We've been doing some work with actually Cathy at the Verve Group to understand advisor review processes and how much time that takes. And it's astonishing the base cost of just providing that information to customers because some providers aren't don't provide it digitally. There's 10, sometimes 28 day turnaround times on bits of information and data. Um, and all of that costs the advisor money and of course the only person that really pays for any of us and I do think people forget that any of us me Hayley um, the advisors the power planners all providers is the client so they all pay for this stuff um, and therefore if you could reduce that time and provide better service and customers not have their hearts sink every time they need to pick up the phone to you because they kind of know they're going to get what they need. If you could fix that and wave a magic wand, how much time in advisor businesses would you free up? How much money would you save, both in terms of advice time, but also provider time? You know, it's a false. We, we're a big believer in investing in service here at Parmenian, but it's a false economy to cut costs in that area because you then have chaser calls in your system, you then have errors, you then have complaints, all of which need responding and servicing. So you end up in this downward spiral of problems all the time, your service being impacted and it's costing money. And again, that cost gets passed on to the client. So, so I do think um, there's a significant impact on poor service. Um, to to the cup to the customer obviously mm. um and i think part of the challenge really if we then bring it right back to the advice 
market and the advice profession is um, advisors find it will understandably find it very very difficult to understand what a service experience is really like until they've actually experienced it because the reality is if you look at any of our marketing brochureware we'll all say we deliver we deliver brilliant service the customers at the heart of what we do yes (laughs) and how can you and I, I say this as a marketeer right but how can you cut through that messaging and that information when everybody's saying the same and it's patently not the case Mm. So, so really, it's about how you measure it, which is part of the other part of your question. And if you measure how much time it takes to pick up a call, we pick up every phone call in 20 seconds. There's a competitor of ours that will, well, a couple of competitors that will say that we say it. Um, but then that's all they publish. They publish how many of those calls are answered in one call. Um, so that's that's the real quality measure. How much is one and done? How many times does the advisor have to phone back? Do, do, do those providers measure accuracy, for example, as well as efficiency? So how many processes you, you get through versus how many you get right first time? Mm. And at Parmenium we do, and at Parmenium we publish those. But to be honest, if we're the only one that's publishing it and no one else is, it's a bit of a pointless exercise because advisors don't know whether that's good, bad or indifferent. Mm. And everybody's view of what an efficiency measure is will also be different. So you can't really compare them anyway. So frankly, just to sum up, I'm a little bit fed up of um, talking about this because we've been talking about it for years and years and years and no one's really doing anything about it. So um, I've decided we are going to do something about it and we're actually doing some work with the Lancat to try and cut through some of this noise to help advisors um, and we'll be launching that in actually the next few weeks so watch this space. Exciting, thank mm-hmm. you very much. Nice little exclusive for everyone there I think unless you've got something else. Brilliant, thank you Sarah. Um, so I did want to talk a bit because Hayley sorry I'm aware that you haven't really come in very much on this but um, <laughs> Uh, Sarah, I know that Parmenian is supporting the advisor incubator that the Verve Foundation has launched. Um, first of all, I just wanted to ask you a bit about why you wanted to get involved with the initiative. And then I, I wanted to get a bit from Haley on sort of a bit more detail about what that's hoping to achieve. Haley will be much more eloquent about this than me, so I will only um, say a few words. But um, I've already talked about the advice gap. There aren't enough advisors in the UK to serve the needs of customers and um, we need to encourage more people into the profession. It's a really, I believe, it's a really, really rewarding profession and it's absolutely heading in the right direction in terms of um, the service it's delivering to its customers and the outcomes it is trying to deliver. Um, And so I'm passionate about good advice. I'm passionate about um, supporting the um, advice sector, which is hugely resilient um, and will grow. Um, but I think there are massive barriers to entry and it's actually quite hard to set up that business because it's not just about who your customers will be and what your product is. There's regulation, there's capital and there's all of that other stuff and qualifications and authorization and all of that other stuff that you you need to to work in financial services and um, I just think it's hard and any help we can give is a good thing Mm. and I'll shut up now. (laughs) 
no we weren't saying that at all <laughs> but Haley, I would like to hear a bit more detail from you on on sort of what the thinking behind the launch was and when you launched and how it's gone since then because I don't think it was that long ago was it no, so we had um, a little shindig to launch back in June um, and we've uh, about a week or two ago we had the last session of the first cohort um, with the next one coming at the end of September. So been a bit of a whirlwind but it's been really really good so far. Um, so I guess just touching on what you said Sarah um, and probably the reason why we are so proud to have Parmenian as our lead partner is because those values and that passion aligns with perfectly with what we're trying to do in the foundation as a whole. So the incubator is one initiative that we have um, but the overall mission is to get more people so advisors and support staff into the industry and to just make it way more diverse and innovative and all of those lovely things that um, we all want for the industry but it's just been so far so slow to change um, anyone who knows Kathy knows that she doesn't like to wait for anything <laughs> so it was very much like right we're doing this now um, and the thinking behind the incubator itself was, um, yes, it's very, very hard to be an advisor. It's also really, really hard to set up a business, no matter what it is. Um, so during the incubator, we run through things like business plan creation. We touch on the regulatory elements. We talk about marketing. Um, we have a group of mentors who give their time to the advisors to talk not just about the advice stuff, but really what it's like to set up and run your own business. Um, and I think that's the key part that we play is to build that community because it's so lonely being a business person on your own, doing absolutely everything yourself. And then there's a little bit of paranoia of, oh, have I got everything? Am I doing everything I need to do? Because that to-do list is just endless. And it's not just for the first three months, six months, year. It's ongoing and it's stuff that we know that people really want to do well. And I think again that's the key thing is people want to do the right thing for clients so they've put in all of their energy into the advice but then the other side of it is they have a business to run and how the heck do they do that you know mm. um so that was the thinking behind the incubator itself um that launched as i said um in june and our first cohort were incredible i mean i would say that but genuinely 10 really <laughs> incredible advisors and i mean sorry we, we spoke about this recently um they just have great ideas they've got the passion and essentially it all boils down to them wanting to help people and i think if if people have that ethos inside them and they have that passion and drive to do this for the industry, we want to help them as much as we can because from that we're getting great advisors and from that clients are getting good outcomes. So it, it's win-win all round really. Um, we've had probably about 30 applications in total. Um, I think as you said at the beginning Lois, not everyone's heard of it still. So mm -hmm. it's really important that we're just spreading the word because we want to continue to do this as long as we can. Um, I said to Cathy recently and to Sarah on a call, I want to do this for the rest of my life, right? I'm 35, so we've got a good few years <laughs> until I'm doing this for the rest of my life. Um, We're going to solve the advice gap. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's my life's mission now. We're going to solve that advice gap. Um, but not only the advice gap, you know, financial education, getting more people into the industry and not experiencing barriers. 
I think you said that earlier, Sarah, it's not an easy and welcoming industry, but it should be because there's so many people in this industry that want to welcome fresh, talented people. And we want to welcome people who have new ideas and a different perspective. I feel like I've done quite well in the industry because I didn't have the background. I didn't, I, I had no preconceptions. I just came in as a receptionist, learned some stuff and thought, actually, I love this. And I want more and more people to do the same thing, but don't do it by accident. <laughs> Not don't do it like I did. Do it because you really want to um, and you've got something to bring to the table. Yeah, definitely. No, I talk to a lot of people in the industry, obviously, um, being a journalist in the industry. So <laughs> most of the, the vast majority of people I speak to say, well, I fell into this industry. You know, it wasn't what I was going for in the first place. I didn't. I mean, I personally, when I was at school, when I was at university, I didn't get any, I didn't get much careers advice anyway, to be honest. But certainly I never heard of financial advice as a career that I could go down. Um, as it happens, I didn't go down that career path. But, you know, it was always accountants, doctors, lawyers, journalists, never financial advisors. So I think it's, yeah, it's very important to start there, I imagine. Um, so, yeah, it sounds, and then obviously, well, I, I was writing an article recently. Um, I assume it will be published when this podcast comes out. But anyway, I've been working on it. Um, and in that, I say I really admire anyone who launches their own business because I've never had any sort of entrepreneurial spirit or anything like that. So, yeah, I don't know how anyone can do it, especially in such a heavily regulated space. So it sounds like a really, um, a really worthwhile program. And I'm very excited to see where it goes um and so what what are the next steps for the incubator then Haley? um you've had your first cohort what happens next yeah so um we always say to them you know we're, we're here for you we you've gone through the program we've given you all of this information but we're still here to support you so we'll continue to do some sessions that they'll be invited to um they're still in contact with partners so parmenian you guys have spoken to them about several different bits um one of the huge things that we got in feedback was community and having that support so we don't want to just take that away after the 12 weeks we're here to continually support them um, for whatever we need and uh, they need rather um, and, and they've done that so we've kept in touch um, I'm not allowed to say who but someone's had some FCA authorization through and we're just so so proud of them I know <laughs> um, sorry yes um, I was tapping there for and no one can see me on the camera <laughs> <laughs> Um, just lovely to keep hearing their news. Um, the end of this week, we have um, the closing date for applications for the second cohort. Um, Sorry, just to say, um, when this comes oh, out, it might it no, might be it might be like next week or the week after. So. <laughs> But applications are now closed for the second cohort. Um, so that'll be launching at the end of September. Um, and again, we're going to go through the same um, kind of programme. That said, we do look at the applications. So if we have people in at different stages, we're very flexible. So we'll tailor that programme to whatever they need. If it's people pre-authorisation, there'll be different sessions to people who are already authorised and they're ready to go um, because there's so much different work that you need to do depending on what stage um, and then hopefully next year we can look at doing uh, four, co 
four cohorts a year of both the advisor incubator and our other programme, We Are Change, um, which is designed to bring brand new people into the industry. Um, and we train them up to get their diploma and then help to place them into roles within financial services. Um, so the big plan is, is for a year of those whilst there's just me and then into the future, get more and more people in and just uh, keep going until, as Sarah says, we have single handedly. <laughs> <laughs> Brilliant. Sounds amazing. Um, so will it will sort of previous cohorts start mentoring new cohorts and things? The idea is that everyone's sort of talking and helping each other. Sounds yeah. ideal. Makes yeah. me want to launch my own advice firm. <laughs> Come on in. Oh. <laughs> um, but yeah, we'll keep, keep building on that. So we'll have this alumni group and we'll add cohort two, three, four, five, six in um, and they can all help to support each other. They've they've built their network um, through the mentors that they've been speaking to as well. And, and as we say, it will be um, mentoring, but also just that overall community support. We just want to keep that going and make it bigger and bigger. Um, so that everyone gets what they need out of their businesses and the profession gets everything they need out of the businesses. Brilliant. I think that's right. And I, I think, I don't know whether it's sort of worth mentioning, but some of the feedback we got, for example, so Parmenian ran a session with the um, first cohort on, on cybersecurity. And that was, the feedback we got on that was really positive because actually as a 200-man business, we can, um, we've got, experts in that space and we can lend those experts to the foundation to share their knowledge and give hints and tips about um, and actually just actionable steps that they can take in their own business around important areas like that and I think um, access to experts is one of the things that the program does really well. Mm. Yeah cyber security particularly is a really complicated area isn't it I, I was trying to look into it a bit recently and it's Sounds like there's loads to it, especially for an advice firm who might not have the yeah. know-how. So, yeah, no, that sounds great. Um, just one, we're probably coming towards the end now, but just one final question for you both. Um, just more generally, is there more that the industry can do to support new entrants into financial services? Obviously, we've talked a bit about the incubator and, and what you're hoping to achieve with that. Um, but obviously there's not, as you've already mentioned, Hayley, there's not a huge amount of diversity in the sector. Um, what more can sort of the industry in general do to help improve diversity and encourage more new entrants into both financial advice and I suppose fund management as well? Shall I go, Sarah? I don't yeah. want to jump <laughs> you go, and then I'll, 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 I'll... <laughs> The answer for me is just a huge yes. And you could probably just cut it there. No, not really. Um, <laughs> I think I'm I'm a big believer in, in little things making a big impact. So I feel like if every single person did something, whatever that something is, we're collectively going to have a huge impact. There's so much more we can do. But I think the biggest thing is changing um, your attitude and your perception as a business. So when speaking about diversity, don't just instantly go, oh, well, we don't want this type of person. Or also on the flip side of that, we want this type of person. 
it's down to the person themselves and what they can bring. So when you're speaking to them and interviewing them, listen to what they are saying, what drives them and make sure you're asking the right questions. Doesn't matter what gender they are or what background they come from. If they've moved jobs six times, there could be a reason behind it. So just try to break away from the um, preconceptions of people and listen to those people themselves. I think that's the biggest thing for me for diversity is to just stop all the noise and focus on what you want to achieve and the people that you're bringing into your business. Look after those people, give them the opportunity to thrive, give them the encouragement they need and you will be rewarded 10 times over and that will bring such a change in the industry. That will also, I believe, start to change that perception outwardly as well, because you get the right people in, you get people that look like the younger generation, you know, they're not all old men in suits that are at the bank. It has changed to so show that, you know, really showcase the different roles, the different people that we have in the industry. And I think it will naturally have that change. Um, and I do think it's really needed. Absolutely. Mm, definitely. I wholeheartedly agree with everything you've said there, Hayley. Um, and I, but I do think it probably needs to go back a little bit. Um, I think part of the reason why financial services isn't considered necessarily as a profession through school and university is because of that reputation. You, you don't hear people saying, "I go and want to work. I want to go and work in utilities," either, do you? So, so. <laughs> So it's partly to do with, can I make a difference? Can I um, drive change? Can I um, have an impact? And I think we need to be open minded to new ideas and new thinking. But I also think, um, and one of the things we um, have talked about and done here at Parmenian is gone into local schools, sixth forms, careers fairs, careers advice, um, but not just schools where the um, pupils are people like us, schools where perhaps financial services would just not even be on the radar. Um, and so so we've gone into um, schools with high diversity to talk about financial services as an option and driving that thought process from a really young age is also, I think, quite important to encourage talent. You want people to choose to come into the um, profession and you want people to be really passionate about the difference it can make because we all know that money is highly personal and it makes a huge difference to people if it's managed well and um, and I just don't think we're very good at communicating that outside of our own little echo chambers frankly. Mm, no definitely totally agree. Brilliant. Um, I think we'd probably better end there, but um, thank you both so much for joining me. I've really enjoyed chatting to you today. I think it's been really interesting. Been great fun. See you. <laughs> and yeah, you. see you both again soon. <laughs> you soon. Thank you for listening to In Conversation With. We do hope that you enjoyed it. Please do keep up to date with all our new releases via Podbean, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and everywhere else you get your podcasts from. You can also keep up to date with all our new content published on the Money Marketing website, as well as our print edition, Money Marketing Magazine. So make sure to subscribe. Follow us on Twitter, LinkedIn, Facebook, and Instagram. See you next time.